0: it's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello my friends and welcome back to another episode of The Right Conversations. I'm so excited I know I say that a lot, but I really don't like to bring people on the show that I don't feel excited about talking to. So therefore I am often very excited. Today we are having a conversation about building a pleasure practice with Tatiana Folkt. And I am so excited to have you meet this human. I'm so excited to finally connect with this human um, and talk to you about something that I know is really important to both of us. And I hope after this conversation becomes something that's important to you. So Tatiana, welcome to the show. Hi Rachel, I'm so excited to be here. Oh, same. This is like such a long time coming. Will you tell everyone who you are, what you do, what lights you up, all all the things? Oh my god, what lights me
1: up? So many things light me up. But um so just to briefly introduce myself, I'm Tatiana. I am a I am the host of The Bedside Podcast, which is a sexuality relationships podcast. I'm a sex educator. I'm also I'm very multi-hyphenate. I'm also a branding designer. So I kind of come from this place of being very interested in, um, the things that I find a lot of people don't talk about. I think I'm just like, if we really get to the core essence of it, I always growing up was like, why are there questions that I have queries that I have curiosities (laughs) that I have that no one is really talking about. And I found that to be so prevalent in relationships in dating in intimacy and in even my own coming of age where i just felt like there weren't a ton of resources so just to kind of preface with everybody i think i just always had like this inkling to want to dive deeper and i grew up in an age of like just like the brink of the internet um thankful that i had it but still there weren't a ton of resources like there are yep. now um and i remember same. yeah <laughs> same right on Um, and I remember, I'm sure Rachel, you can still relate to this. Like my sex education was so abysmal. Um, I had like a truly like mean girl style. My gym teacher taught my sex ed. Oh no. Shout out to miss Corkery. (laughs) (laughs) That woman was a badass. I do have to say like she had some spunk to her, but was absolutely unqualified to be teaching sexual health sexual education and would roll in this box tv on like a tv cart that had to be like plugged into the wall oh and, yeah um we would watch these really weird
0: 1980s like birthing videos wow i think we had the same at school sex ed i, yeah. I did not have a cool health teacher i had my 7th grade science teacher but um same tv setup uh, same situation and it was terrible. Yes. It
1: was so terrible. I mean, looking back on it, I can laugh at it, but I mean, I just had, and and there were so many humorous moments, but really like I felt so under resourced is really what it was. Like I just didn't have the right tools and access. And unfortunately, like, I feel like it led to not only my own kind of really, tumultuous trial and errors of like what having meaningful relationship healthy dynamics looked like what good sex even was that took some time and i noticed my peers having the same experience too long story short went off to college was like in total naivete and was like oh people will have this down like maybe that was just a problem of middle and high school but like by the time we're in college everyone should have this whole dating and sex thing figured out turns out they didn't
0: spoiler alert everyone.
1: (laughs) And that's really where I think I got super passionate about sexual health and education. And I, you know, I was privileged enough to be in really great curriculum courses that were in like women and gender studies. Like these were topics of things that I had never had access to before. I was in like very really, really thought provoking conversations and dialogue and education around like what all of this meant on such a deeper level. And I think a part of like the younger version of myself was so fulfilled by this. I was like, Oh my gosh, I found the, the information I've been looking for for so long. Um, and I found people who care about this as well. So long story short was that I ended up, um, One of my thesis projects was this concept of rebranding sex education. And Mm. I picked the topic kind of randomly and haphazardly, but I think it felt a little bit divine, like looking back on it, being like, oh, there was something deeper here, some like richer purpose that um, I kind of was guided to in a way. And basically, I kind of like to joke that my senior thesis has never ended. I am still working (laughs) on rebranding sex education, as many of us are um, in this space and trying to bring a lot more dialogue um, and and really contemporary dialogue to to the category. I think the biggest white space I've found in sexual health is really culturally, the way we speak of it is either so, it's very polarized. It's either hypersexual. Or it's hyperclinical. And yeah. when I say hyperclinical, I'm talking about like think like your OBGYN, think um, you know, the Femcare aisle with like vagicil and like all of these very, very clinical, kind of almost cold feeling products.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um and so I think there's it's it's I'm always trying to discover that space in between. Right. Like, where is it for the everyday people like you, like me, who are dynamic, who are having sex in very different ways, who are like, you know, tapped into contemporary culture, the digital age, dare I say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. And, oh, and I, got I here.
0: love this. And of course, we were like drawn towards each other because I shit you not so much of what you said. I'm like, nope, that's literally what I've said the same thing. Like, I, <laughs> yep, nope, I've also said that. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's this like curiosity as a young person of why there were certain topics that like we just shouldn't talk about. Right. and. I was lucky enough to grow up in a family where, you know, my mom took me to like a mommy and me sex ed class that was like held privately. And I was nine years old. And luckily she took me because I got my period when I was nine. And so like, I thank goodness had learned that year what was about to happen to me. Um, But I know she got a lot of judgment from other parents about taking me at nine. Like, don't you think that's young? And even with this additional thing that got shamed by her peers, I still had so many questions and I still was at such a lack of knowledge around pleasure and around my queer identity and around non-monogamy. Like I look back at my diaries and I have these entries and it's like, this poor young, like queer, non-monogamous girl that just thinks she's so broken and like slutty and not slutty in like the empowered way now that we're like, yeah, I'm a slut in like the really shameful, like, oh no, everyone's gonna know I'm a slut that way. And it's just, I like didn't understand why any of these existed. And my one of my end of uh, higher academia projects was how sex ed how the attitude about sex ed in a home affects a child's outcome as an adult. Ooh. And, um, so we were definitely cut from the same cloth. Yes. <laughs> um, and I just, I wanted to share that with you. So you know that you you were in company that gets it. I love
1: that. Oh my God. That's so cool. I love the similarity there. And like, yeah, it just, I I mean, everybody for the most part can relate to some way that sex ed had failed them. You know, and I feel as though, um, you know, I have a lot of hope now for this upcoming generation of what the access and just the type of conversations that are even being had. Like the way that I feel like I was conditioned was just as so cis presenting and, um, in a female body that I just didn't even consider that there were other options, right? Like, I think I just was so programmed into one way of thinking that it wasn't until I was much older that I kind of came into more of my queer identity and what that has meant for me, even being in a heteronormative relationship, being like, okay, well, how can I still feel into my queerness or express into that while still presenting in such a cis way? So it's very interesting. I mean, I think there's so, there's so much nuance, but there's also... Um, I have so much hope for like just the dialogue that currently exists.
0: I agree. I agree. And yay, for us doing something about something that didn't serve us as kids, like, yeah. It's just wonderful. So, okay. I want to get right into our topic and then hopefully I also want you to share about this beautiful company that you've created. And by the way, your combination of branding and sex ed is so apparent. It's like some of the best branding I've literally ever seen. It's so good. It's so welcoming and warm and fun. And I think like really crosses generational, uh, crosses generations. Like it's, so kudos to you. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. That. So tell us a little bit about what a pleasure practice means to you.
1: Yes. Oh, great. I love this topic so much. <laughs> um, so I guess kind of riffing off where we just left off with kind of like how sex ed has failed us. You know, much of the curriculum, as as you're well aware, has never really included. The concept of pleasure, right? Like a lot of our education is preventative and it completely kind of, it it very much fear mongers, um, especially around like pregnancy and just really like the anatomical reasons of reproduction. But for the most part, like we're not talking about the pleasure behind it. So I think it's very interesting that, um, we've kind of completely ignored this category in, education and i find that even the words around sex and even to this day i struggle with it like we have such limited vocabulary like there's not like a breadth of vocabulary to explain all of these like intricacies of um just like how you feel around romance and love like i i struggle with it frequently um even the other day i was talking to my partner and i was like oh my gosh like i I keep saying the word romance, but I don't mean romance. I'm just failing to have like deeper dialogue around this. But it's so funny you
0: say that because like, what does romance even mean?
1: I don't know, but it's so (laughs) pitchy to me. I'm like, I don't want that. Whatever that word is, I don't want it.
0: (laughs) And there's like there's so many different meanings to it. And like something about it feels very like hallmark story. Like I'm like, is it roses? Like are we talking about like candles? Like what are those those are just items? like what what makes something romantic? And then, like we talk about like romantic platonic relationships. And I'm like, what is it? like what? <laughs> so yes, agreed.
1: <laughs> agreed. all the above, yeah. <laughs> If anybody listening has a good definition of romance, like hit me up. Like I'll take same.
0: It. Um, Group chat us on Instagram, please.
1: Yeah, yeah. Be like Rachel, Tatiana, this is it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so yeah, so so going off having limited language. And really this idea of like not having a lot of education around pleasure and like really the reason why most people are engaging in sex is for pleasurable purposes, right? Like there is, of course, reproduction, but, you know, we're out here really seeking, seeking many of us a pleasurable experience and a connective experience. And so um, I found that, you know, in kind of my lack of learning about sex for pleasure, I also found that um you know it closed a door for me for how I could just in general access it on a larger scale. So because mm-hmm. there was so much hush hush around this idea of of pleasure and you know permission for pleasure especially for female bodied individuals like all of this very um dampened and suppressed um uh really like terminology and and feelings and sensations and ac- accessibility to it um i felt like it was affecting many of the other categories in my life too in where like even in a desexualized sense so just my access to the word felt like so um not there like i couldn't i couldn't get to it i couldn't get to the root of it i wasn't prioritizing it in any way and so i think i just want to like share with everybody that if you've ever felt like you have struggled to access pleasure, or I know there's like just a lot of talk around it in this community, being like, claim your pleasure. You know, first and foremost, I get if that is something that's been difficult for you, or if you're like, I don't quite understand what that means. And so I think there needs to honestly be, and I found kind of in my work, a bit of a reclamation around the word, to be honest. Um Just being like, how can I take this word that has always meant this one thing that's felt very hush hush, that's felt very like small in, in its definition. Um, and how can we actually reclaim it and expand it to Mm -hmm. make, make it work for each of us individually? So to me, a pleasure practice is coming down to what is your definition of pleasure and absolutely like expanding upon that in a way that works For you, right? Like my definition of pleasure is not your definition of pleasure and it's not the person next to me's definition of pleasure. And I think, you know, that it it whittles down to the same, same concept with sex, right? Like my definition of sex is different than yours, different than the person next to me. And so, um, the pleasure practice really gives permission for people to define what pleasure means for them in all categories, whether it's sexual, whether it's not, and to act upon it in its most radical form. Right. And it doesn't have to be something that is, um, you know, going to be hours of sex or hours of meditation. It's it really comes back to making it accessible for yourself, making it attainable for yourself. And, you know, The best way to put it is I ask, you know, I ask myself at the top of every day, what is something I can do for myself in the name of pleasure, in the name of ease, in the name of desire? Like just five Mm. minutes. What can I give myself something for five minutes? What is it? What's it going to be today? And that simple reframe
0: has completely shifted my life, completely shifted my life. What would you be open to sharing what some of the things that have popped into your head and you've tried are?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, it changes every day, Rachel, because it's like based off of what I'm needing and like wanting to express more. So sometimes it'll be as simple as being like, I need to cancel this meeting. It mm. can be, well, that also might sometimes feel really large for some people being like, I can't push this off, but like really advocating for my time realizing at the start of every day, I might need some time back. So how can I delegate and reallocate things? Sometimes it's as simple as being like, I'm really, really, really craving some like certain type of food or like, you know, I'll like run and go grab a donut because I'm just like, I am so craving it. Just being so intuitive with what I need and want. Other times it's wanting to connect on a deeper level with certain friendships. So making sure that I'm allocating some time. Like I I really want to phone a friend today and like chat and like have a really great conversation. And other times it also comes down to my sexual wants and needs being like, okay, like, where am I at? Like, you know, am I, am I wanting to engage in some solo play later? Am I wanting to just feel sensual in my body? Like, should I go take a really indulgent shower and like, lather up on some great body oil. So I, it changes every single day, but I think it always is coming back to like, what can I gift myself truly? Like, what can I gift myself? Because a lot of our days guys are filled with so many other people's expectations of us, what they need, what they want. And if we're not the ones advocating for that, I mean, it's just going to get filled up by someone else.
0: I love that so much, and you know something that I think is such a beautiful reframe for a lot of people is I gar I could almost guarantee that at reading the title of this episode, the assumption is going to be oh they're just going to talk about masturbation for <laughs> however long the episode is, and that is a totally totally valid and important form for many people of pleasure and and a pleasure practice that like is encouraged yay do it I'm on board. Yes. And I love the examples that you gave because canceling a meeting or rescheduling a meeting or getting a donut or calling a friend are also (laughs) pleasurable. Yes. And I would, how do I want to ask this? How do you navigate the mixed emotions as I would call it the and that comes up? When something that brings you pleasure is also uncomfortable or creates a bit of anxiety. So like, for example, in canceling a meeting, maybe it brings up stress or shame. In getting the donut, maybe some old diet culture programming pops up and there's like anxiety and, and shame. Shame is a big one with anything pleasurable. Like how, how do you personally navigate it? And if you've used any tools or taught anything that has helped people navigate that and that is a really really powerful question i I really like this and i need a second to think about it yeah the honey pot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet it's embracing that time of the month it's staying balanced through the ups and downs good sex and bad sex it's exploring it's learning it's plant derived powered by herbs and science the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honey Pot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's rachel E L two zero for 20% off your first Honey Pot order on HoneyPot.co.
1: I think for me, it comes down to really knowing that, you know, I, I actually kind of like to almost think of it as like with each emotion, it's not, they, they don't always live on their own, right? Like emotions coexist together. That's like, they're so complex and the human experience is so complex and so not fixed. Mm -hmm. And so I think it, there's, there's just a bit of grace that sometimes with similarly to joy, and pleasure, like there also might be disappointment that lives in there. There might also be a bit of shame. And I think it comes down to like, for me, I, I'm i gonna kind of paint this in a visual way. I think I almost weigh it out as, you know, what is the strongest emotion coming through right now? And usually when it does come down to that pleasure practice, let's use the example of canceling a meeting. Yeah you know 80% of me wants to cancel the meeting 10% of me feels guilty 10% of me feels shame right so i can already like weigh out the most important emotion there and realize yeah. which one i'm going to act upon but i really think rachel it comes down to like having that grace for myself in those moments so um and i think too you know there've been plenty of times where Um, I've noticed maybe, maybe it's a deeper emotion. Maybe it's like a 50, 50 breakdown of something. And, um, I'll still follow my intuition of following my pleasure. Um, but I'll, I'll take a moment to, to honor that. Whatever, whatever other emotion came up, I want to acknowledge and process later. And so like taking a minute Mm -hmm. uh, being like, Hmm, okay. I'm feeling a little bit of shame. That's coming from my inner child. I am actually going to, go forth, continue wanting to do this, cancel this meeting, but I'm going to take some time, maybe tomorrow morning, maybe later this evening to journal about it. And just like, you know, chat with that inner child of me that feels really shameful. So I think that's kind of where, where I come. I've never been asked a question like that. That was so brilliant, but I think you really did pinpoint something so important there where, where people do feel this deeply when it does come to pleasure, that it's not something that is easily, accessible and it's not something that they have the right to. It feels like a luxury instead of a basic need.
0: Yes, exactly. And it's, I, I love that you broke down the the percentages because I think often when it comes to things like shame or, um, let's just stick with shame when it comes to shame (laughs) that even if it's 10%, it can feel so uncomfortable that it's like, Nope, we're just going to let this ten percent kind of take over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. and you may decide to do that, or I may decide to do that, but acknowledging to yourself, like I know that it's only ten percent, and I'm not ready to act on it yet mm-hmm. i'm I'm going to actually honor this ten percent, and I'm not going to cancel my meeting because I'm not ready to feel that that ten percent. it's It's too big. It still feels too big. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is really powerful and very different then oh i i can't i just can't and yeah. like not really digging into it at all um and i hear this so from so many people around taking time for themselves which for many people is a pleasurable experience in any form whether that's like going on a walk masturbating taking a bath watching a show that only you like and no one else in your household enjoys like singing <laughs> You know, for me, it's like singing show tunes as loud as I want. Like, whatever that thing is, taking the time to do that, I think we've been taught is selfish. And the word selfish, similar to the word slut, was taught in this, like, really negative way, not in this, like, objective definition way of, like, yeah, sometimes we are selfish. And, like, that's a good thing. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. Without a doubt. I mean, I witness a lot from kind of the generation above me, even like kind of not even above me. I would honestly say like my caretakers Mm. uh, generation where it was almost like this, like martyr mentality, like, so selfless to the point of deprivation and like suffering and those like, that's really the model I was raised around. And I think like, thank God I didn't assimilate to that. I actually kind of went the other way being like, wait, I don't know if I actually believe in this, um, I see a lot of suffering here. I don't think I'm going to like follow this exact patterning, but, um, I totally agree with you. And I think, um, you know, I kind of have a really great, way that I build this into my actual calendar that might help other people to feel like this is something attainable. And it's Please. not like as loosey goosey, because if we're going to really break down the energetics of a, p- a pleasure practice, it's quite, um, it's quite a feminine energetic. And what I mean by that is it's not a, um, you know, it we're it's, it's leaning into the concept of, um, let me backtrack there. It's quite a feminine energetic. What I mean by that is a masculine masculine and feminine energetics differentiate themselves kind of in like their output, as in this pleasure practice might feel more flowy and fluid and like, where does this fit in and, and a, a more masculine system is the one that we operate within, right? It's this twenty four hour um circadian system that's very like go, 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 do, do, do. and i I, I find that. When I take this more feminine energetic process of having a pleasure practice, following your intuition, really leaning into your needs and inputting it into this masculine system, which whether or not we like it or not is how most of the world operates is when I find this great like fusion of things coming together and it feels very like accessible and I know I keep saying that word, but it I think that's what I really want to drive home with this Yeah. concept of having a pleasure practice is that we can access it and it doesn't have to seem as like wishwashy as, um, it may sound at times. So I really like to input it into my calendar and what I'll do by that is I'll just make, I color code my calendar again, hyper visual person over here. Um, and I just make sure that every day I have like a couple little blocks of I color code mine green and I just make sure that Mm. I just make some different time blocks for myself. You know, our calendars can get filled up so back to back with meetings and obligations. And even I'll just add a quick little 15 minutes of green between meetings, right? And just advocating for my time and for my rest and for my own like enjoyment of pace. And, um, you know, I just make sure that when I'm looking at my calendar for the week, I'm, I quickly take a glance. I'm like, is there enough green? And I'm like, okay, if there's not, you can determine how much that needs to be. But for right. me, it's like, okay. I, I just want to see if I have enough, like color systems happening here um, and making making sure that i can i can implement whatever it is and sometimes rachel i don't even get that specific with it i'll just make a time block for 45 minutes or an hour Where in that time i get to decide what i want to do on the fly
0: um so i call that creating a container
1: yes creating a container totally um and so that's where i get to decide when that time hits what i want to do like do i want to go on a nice walk Do I want to make myself a great lunch? Do I just want to lie on the couch and stare at the ceiling? Like, what is it that I need?
0: (laughs) I love that. I love, do you ever struggle to figure out what it is that you need?
1: Um, I think I used to, and I would say now I am in a position where I really know what I need and what I want, but it took a long, long journey from being quite a chronic, um, former people pleaser. I used to be someone who it took me a while to admit this for myself, but I used to be someone who was so indecisive to the point where I didn't even realize how how much I was relying on other people to make decisions for me. Like, what do I need right now? And like asking other people and outsourcing an entire like pool of opinions. And so it's been a journey for me and an entire learning process for me to actually come back to my own autonomy behind that and actually asking myself what I want and need. That practice has been so powerful. I actually can't even like, remember that version of myself feels mm. so foggy of being that indecisive people pleasing person. But um that has been so, so powerful to step into. And um it had its own learning curves and like it had its own, you know, I, I say this practice is like it's it's like working out. It's it's something that you build muscle for. Um, you might jump into this concept and feel like dang. I really don't understand this or I'm not quite good at this. But the more and more you practice step by step by step, the better you become at it. And then it almost becomes a total non-negotiable in
0: your lifestyle. Do you have any words of wisdom for someone who is more at where you used to be and is like, okay, yeah, I'm on board. I want to like color code. I'm going to block off. I'm going to do the thing. And then I'm going to get there and I'm not going to know what the fuck to do with myself. (laughs) Like, do you have any advice for that person? Do you mean in the
1: context of like, if they're coming from more of a place where people are making
0: decisions for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And they can't really decide what to do with the time for their pleasure practice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, okay. So um, I actually really like to start a step back of just making a, quick and fun exercise for yourself. Um, I personally like to journal about this, but if you're like, I'm not a journaler, I totally get it. Um, I sometimes find this is really beneficial to if you if you like to kind of um, voice note things, like I sometimes take out my, um, what's it called on your iPhone, you know, voice memo app and all. Yeah, yeah. Frame of consciousness, sometimes I'll meditate on it. Um, but I really like to just consider all of the things in life in general i have a running list I just keep it on my phone that give me pleasure and joy mm. and so i remember kind of when i started this at the beginning and i still have this crazy extensive running list on my phone for what i do kind of want to tap into some of the things that give me pleasure but i'm not i'm, I'm drawing a blank yeah. i i just have a, a list a place where i've jotted it down so i i urge people to to start doing that build a list of things that Bring you joy and bring you pleasure um and it can be anything from what are the ways that you like to get active what are the ways you like to move your body what are the ways that you like to socialize what are some of the your favorite foods what are some of the things that you loved to do as a kid that has been a huge reclamation for me um i recently probably like a year and a half ago I used to love playing like tennis outside as a kid. It was one of the sports I did, but I dropped off a very long time ago. And about a year and a half ago, I rejoined a clinic in my area. And it has been one of the best, richest pleasure practices for me because it ticks off me moving. It, it checks the box of me getting active, meeting people, connecting with community, mm. having a third place, like allowing myself to third places for, um those who aren't as familiar are is is a destination that you have that's outside of work that's outside of home that is a place where you can go it's a neutral spot where you can go socialize it sometimes feels like a community watering hole if you will and so that has like fulfilled so much for me so again like going back to some of the things that just brought you authentic joy as a kid like how can you translate that into adulthood i think for me like the translation of tennis was pretty one-to-one, but, um, let's say another thing that brought me joy when I was younger was like, I really was connected to like mystical storytelling and like, you know, all the things that kids love, like fairies and unicorns, right? Like, I don't bring that into my adulthood in the same form that I did as a kid, but really like I've explored ways that all of these really like magical mystical things that brought me so much fulfillment as a kid, what does that look like in adult Tatiana, right? Like maybe that looks like my own spiritual practices and like the way I connected meditations to different things. So I think um, you can have a lot of fun with translating um, past joys into uh, uh, more of an adult version of yourself. Cause that's another thing too. We forget play. We forget the foundations of play. It's so stripped from us. Um, Many of us have like stories of like, you know, very abrupt moments in our lives where we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that moment that I like no longer was a kid. For me, it was yeah. when I was trick or treating with my American girl doll, and a neighbor adult was like, oh, you're still playing with American girl dolls. And I like was like <gasps> rocked into like what felt like almost just not adult. Oh, that's but, terrible. But it was one of the days I like left a lot of my imaginative play because I was, I was yeah. almost mocked a bit by, An adult. And so, um, you know, that adult didn't mean it as deeply as they had intended for it to be. But I think a lot of us have moments like that where we're just like, oh, that is childish. So I'm no longer going to act in that space. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I hear parents a lot, you know, whether it's like walking through the park or whatever, I'll overhear parents like, okay, no, but what do big girls do? Or What do big boys do? And like what they're telling them to do is either like suppress their emotions or like not to play with their imagination. Yeah. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, what is this? Like, why? And it's so common. And I'm sure kind of like this adult, you know, for them, this is just like another comment. Like, there's no way that this resonated or like that this adult remembers this interaction. Like, it's just like a random thing. And yet for you, it's this like, lifelong memory of (laughs) a moment you lost part of your imagination and like put part of childhood behind you. Totally. Totally.
1: And yeah, exactly. It's, it's unfortunate that like we our our culture conditions people like that, but I think there is a silver lining in, like I mentioned, like taking that resourced version of yourself that exists right now and being like, okay, how can I, how can I fulfill this category? You know, what is like, how can I bring this back into my life in a way that resonates now and today? So, um, yeah, there's a lot of fun in this process. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully I, I'm not overwhelming anybody. I just, I want no, no, be the, the real playfulness
0: that you can have behind it. No, this is so perfect. So (laughs) as we, I like, yeah, this is great. If there's one thing you want to leave everyone with, what would it be?
1: You know, oh gosh, there's so much. Um, (laughs) In terms of a pleasure practice and finding ways to explore your, your pleasure for what it means for yourself, I think the biggest thing I want to give people from the get-go is no matter where you are, no matter what's currently happening in your life, no matter how stressful things can be, no matter how busy things may feel, you have permission for this. Um, And you absolutely can make this work for you and have this system and simple, simple practice work for you in a radical transformative way. And it can start really small. So I just want people to know that they have the absolute right for this and that it doesn't have to be something crazy. And I'm a really big believer in micro moments. I think I used to be someone who used to think like, oh, you know, for something to be, for a workout, to be effective, for a meditation to be effective, it needs to be like, X amount of time. And I want people to know that there is so much efficacy in a micro moment, right? Like there's so much importance in, you know, maybe you only have a couple seconds to take a moment to take a couple of deep breaths and recalibrate instead of doing a deep meditation. Maybe you don't have like a ton of time to, you know, connect with your partner, but like a really, really heartfelt text feels like... It's going to be the perfect micro moment. So, I just want to say that, that. Um, the length of time of things isn't always um, as important as just
0: the intention behind it. So, those are my thoughts. Thank you for that. I love that. Um, we are going to put, or I am going to put, I, you know, we, the collective, we are going to put all of your contact info and company info and bio and all of that jazz in the show notes. But for those just who are more, audio folks, can you just very quick, I know we're running out of time here, but just summarize what your business does and also where they can find you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, um, you can find me at the bedside on all social channels and, um, yeah, I'm the host of the bedside podcast where we talk about really just modern day relationships, intimacy, connection. We do a lot of like you know we share a lot of tips around like how we can take some of these larger than life concepts and apply them into your own life um in a really really attainable and like granular way so you can find me over there probably the biggest and most intimate spot you can connect with me is the podcast and i'll just kind of leave your listeners with this if you stick around kind of on the bedside page for kind of the next coming weeks probably more realistically in the next coming months we are working on actually creating some physical goods in this category. Ooh. So stay tuned. There's a lot of really, really fun things happening um, over there. So I'm just really happy to have been able to chat with you guys. And Rachel, you're such a good
0: interviewer. I, I
1: love this. Thank
0: you. Yay. I love this too. I can't wait to continue to get to know each other and do more do more work together. I love it. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.